Welcome to the Podcast of Ideas. The Battle of Ideas Festival took place at the Barbican on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2019. The sessions were recorded and you can find all the discussions and topics covered at the festival released exclusively on this podcast. The debate you're about to hear is called What's the Point of Going to University? with David Bowden in the chair. We'd like to say a special thanks to the Federation of Awarding Bodies who partnered with us to produce this session. Um, Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, Welcome to this uh, Battle of Ideas debate uh, on what's the point of going to university. Um, I'm not going to spend too long introducing the topic. I have a feeling that you all have got an opinion on this. and It's very much one that um, uh, uh, kind of touches all of society in many ways. Uh, but it's also important to kind of, um, kind of note that it's not just a kind of question on universities itself, but very much the whole kind of further and higher education system and the very question of what we are looking for that system to do, how well it is performing um, that job, um, uh, and what could be some uh, recommendations for the future. Uh, My name's David Bowden. I'm an Associate Fellow at the Academy of Ideas, where I worked um, organising the Battle of Ideas uh, for many years. Um, I currently now work in um, uh, corporate communications, um, presently in in one of the big four, um, previously at a um, professional accountancy body, um, and particularly, obviously, the... um, uh, Accountancy and consultancy are both um, kind of two fields which are very invested in the question of professional education um, and there have been big discussions uh, in terms of our own recruitment about whether it's best to recruit from universities or to, or to try and uh, recruit people fresher out of school and to give various flexible pathways. So I have a great uh, um, kind of personal and professional interest in this debate myself, um, but I'd also particularly like to thank um, Bernie Whelan, who uh, um, uh, produced this session, uh, furnished me with such a kind of wonderful panel, as well as the Federation of Awarding Bodies, um, who are supporting this uh, um, uh, event, and the Academy of Ideas Own Education Forum, who are, who are hosting this strand. Um, and uh, between them, they have furnished me with an excellent panel um, to be able to uh, uh, give us a bit of an introduction to this topic. So that's to my immediate uh, left. I'm going to do very short introductions for all of them, because um, if I gave them a full biography, we would be here for um, quite some time. Uh, But to my immediate left, we have Professor Alison Wolfe, who's the author of the book The XX Factor, How the Rise of Working Women Has Created a Far Less Equal World, which is a provocative title and a half, if ever I heard of one. Um, She's also a crossbench peer and was also uh, the author of The Wolf Report, uh, which some of you may remember was a a government uh, review from 2011 into the state of 14 to 19 education. So she has a a good overview on the developments of this uh, topic. Um, so at uh, her left uh, is Dennis Hayes, who's Professor of Education at the Univo- University of Derby, founder and director of Academics for Academic Freedom, and co-author of the book The Dangerous Rise of Therapeutic Education. Uh, to my immediate right, I have Kirsty Donnelly, MBE, who is Group Managing Director uh, of City and Guilds Group, who um, hopefully uh, need no introduction, and uh, Commissioner for the Labour Party's Lifelong Learning Commission. And sat, um, to, my, to my far right, I have Janelle White, who is currently a, a postgraduate student at King's College London, studying chemistry, is that right? Yeah. Um, and she's a founder and chair of, uh, of Political Sweep. Which, uh, do you want to give us a short explanation of Political Sweep? Um, it's based in the West Midlands to try and give young people a platform to develop an informed political opinion and then share it how they please. 
Excellent. So that's, that sounds like a very, very worthy way of spending your university uh, um, career. I'm going to ask them to uh, do short introduction of the five to seven uh, minutes. I will uh, um, uh, wave a yellow card to indicate you have about a minute remaining to just start to kind of wrap up, and a red card is, is just a uh, wrap that up. It's not a kind of... Um, it's not a judgy thing, it's just that so we can manage time, um, and then I'll probably go straight out to the audience after you've done your introductions. Um, so without much further ado, Alison. Right, well, it's, it's quite a subject to cover in five minutes, I have to say, well, because there are, of course, um, as many interesting reasons to go to university, probably, as there are individual degree courses, of which there are very, very many. But what I thought I would start by doing is by talking about the fact that in most ways, going to university today is on the surface about the same things as it always was, but about the fact that the huge increase in the number of enrollments in higher education and the therefore very different dynamics of the labor market in pretty much every country in the world, it's not just the developed world, has really changed the equation in ways which make it far more of an issue for the individual, but also mean that there are some, in my view, some, some real threats to the best things about university. Now, that's not quite answering the question, why should you go to university? Because what I'm going to say is the reasons to go are, in some ways, exactly the ones that they always were. And if anything, they're even more pressing than they used to be. But what has changed, I think, is the extent to which universities are delivering on the promise and the extent to which they are a force for good in modern society, as I will put it quite that bluntly. So I'm going to start with a quotation from Jane Austen. And how many people here have either read or seen Pride and Prejudice? Okay, so Mr. Collins probably doesn't need much introduction. <laughs> Mr. Collins, who was the clergyman, who was the nightmare suitor of Elizabeth Bennet, was a clergyman. And he therefore had, in fact, got a, a degree. And what Jane Austen says is, Mr. Collins was not a sensible man, and the deficiency of nature had been but little assisted by education or society. Though he belonged to one of the universities, he had merely kept the necessary terms without forming any useful acquaintance. <laughs> so I think we can conclude from that that um, universities were always about making connections networking, getting yourself a good place in society, um, as well as, more or less effectively, teaching people substantive things. And I think it's important to remember that they've always been about both those things. They've always been about sorting people, as well as about educating people. And the third major function of the modern university, I'm really not going to talk about much today because it's about research, and particularly scientific research, and that is actually a fairly new part of the, of the equation, but also I think not the one that is currently being undermined and, and, and under threat. So essentially you went to university for two reasons. You went to university to acquire very important skills, and indeed to, to, to save your soul in the, in the medieval past. But you also always went because you wanted to get to the top. It was about 
being allowed into occupations which were licensed and where other, you couldn't go without having gone to the right institution. And it was about getting to know the right people and it was about being at the, the top of the pyramid. Um, and it was also about learning things that you couldn't learn anywhere else. And um, that included medicine in the days when probably you were healthier, never going near a doctor. And it also includes medicine today when you do benefit from going to a doctor. So basically, the, the, the university, which is a rather extraordinary institution, by the way, um, because it's autonomous, because it is genuinely including, includes in its, its remit teaching people to think, trotted on more or less happily, educating its Mr. Collinses and also educating its Charles Darwins, until pretty much the, the, the sort of the, the period just before the, first, the Second World War. <coughs> Since then, university enrolments have taken off absolutely, really almost unbelievably if, if, you, if you plot them. And so the proportion of the population that goes to university today ranges from sort of 80% in, in, in some Asian countries to 50% in our own to considerably fewer in Switzerland, though they're finding it hard to hold the line. But compared to any previous period, it has become a, a mass exercise, a mass enterprise. Now, there are two things that follow. The first thing that follows is that it is much harder to get to the top of society or to get good jobs in society without having gone through university first. So why do you go to university? Well, you go to university basically, among other things, because if you don't, you don't have a hope of ever getting on the shortlist. You are going to enter a labor market where more and more occupations only look at people who have degrees, and therefore it's self-preservation. You also go to university, hopefully, to learn things and to open your mind. But for many, many people, you go at 18 because it seems hugely risky not to, and indeed it is hugely risky not to. Now, that's fine, but the labour market has not, in fact, changed in such a way that the things that are taught in universities are needed in those quantities. So the other thing that has happened is that university, instead of being something where, by virtue of going to university, you were, if you like, sorted in both senses. You were sorted in the sense that you had made it to the top, and you were sorted in the sense that it was sorting you. What has happened with this huge increase in universities is that more and more, and in my view, this is a really bad thing, the sorting increasingly takes place in terms of which university you went to rather than whether you learned things when you were there. This is now a pretty dramatic development. And many of you will have seen um, graphs which, I mean, I don't know if anybody can see it from here, which show a line that sort of goes like this. And it's how much you earn related to how, which university you went to. More and more, your chances in life are not determined by how well you perform at university, not by how much you learn at university, but by which institution you went to in terms of the prestige that that institution carries in the eyes of the world. This started, by the way, very clearly in Japan, where basically for a long time when you got to university in Japan, you didn't need to do any work because the only thing that mattered was whether you got to the university you got to, and that was sort of decided when you took the entrance test. But I think it is happening more and more here. It's deeply harmful, and it does make one wonder whether 
we are getting to a position where the overwhelming reason to go to university is becoming to cement the point you are at when you are 18 or 19, rather than to open your mind, to have a chance to be somebody who is recognised <coughs> as having achieved things which are genuinely intellectually demanding and useful to society as a whole. Brilliant. Thank you. Dennis. I'd like, to start by, I'd like to start by something holy, because those of you know that on the 13th of October this year, uh, the blessed John Henry Newman became a saint. So I'm going to start with a quote from a sacred book, The Idea of the University, um, in which Newman says, the university has this object and this mission. It can contemplates neither moral impression nor mechanical production. It professes to exercise the mind neither in art nor in duty. Its function is intellectual culture. It educates the intellect to reason well in all matters, to reach out towards truth and to grasp it. That's why you should go to university, right, for that experience of intellectual culture. People often make a mistake about Newman, and they'll say to me, um, of course, he said that, but he also said he wants to create a gentleman. He's quite happy to have people who are coming out of university to have their role in society as a gentleman or whatever. And that's a mistake. You confuse, when you say that, you confuse two things. If, if you like, the logical reason to go to university is to have that possibility of an intellectual culture. But then because of that, certain things may happen, and they may happen in the ways that Alison has mentioned, just because of a certain place you went to. But that's nothing to do with going to a university. And I think we have forgotten in the development of things that are called universities that fundamental reason. And if vice chancellors in particular have um, forgotten what universities are about. Because they are, each university now sells itself as something different. They all have their particular students, their particular function. And I think it's time to remind people about um, <coughs> what is the potential of universities, which is why I go back to Newman. And in the short provocation piece I wrote about this, I said, why can't you, every young person go to university? And I was accused of being provocatively over-optimistic about the potential of young people. I wasn't, by the way. And I think there's a, my view of um, what happens to people is determined by what their teachers think of them and what society think of them. And I think it's pretty deplorable what society thinks of young people. And I'm always reminded of it when people talk about um, education and how it should change, of Plato's founding myth in the Republic. Do you know it, the noble lie? Plato says this, um, Citizens, we shall say to them in our tale, You are brothers, yet God has framed you differently. Some of you have the power of command, and in composition of these, he has mingled gold. Wherefore, also, they have the greatest honour. Others, he has made of silver to be auxiliaries. Others, again, who are to be husbandmen and craftsmen, he has composed of brass and iron. And, the spe and that species will generally be preserved in the children. So that view, that tripartite view of human beings, which is embodied in the 1944 Education Act between secondary, technical and grammar schools, 
That sort of feeling is embodied in all our thinking about universities and schools. And I think um, there were, you can tease it out. Whenever you read anything on this, there was an article in FE Week on um, Wednesday by um, Alison Bernard from the EDGE Foundation. And she actually talked about the tripartite nature of um, education and the 15% that go to university and the others. And she now says, there's no dichotomy anymore between knowledge and skills or academic or technical achievement. The lines are increasingly burdened. And then she offers them another form of education, the education that she says, endless reports from the CBI and professional bodies from all sectors cite a lack of core skills, creativity, problem solving, communication and the rest as the biggest challenge to productivity. Well, that's a lie for a start. I mean, the biggest challenge to productivity is we're not educating people to the maximum potential. And that's because people really don't believe it. They may say in a sort of sham way that they believe that people have got potential, but they don't believe it. And I think I would like to see a situation where 100% of people could go to university, unless you've got severe special needs. And the, the basis for that would be that all teachers and everybody changes their attitude to young people. I was tempted to do a Jeremiah about this, to talk about the McDonald's Eyes University. But I think it's better to sort of try and remind people of what university should be like. Maybe fairly abstract, but it needs to be said. I mean, I think casually measure it teaches you to think, you know, there's a book you can buy in Oxford called the Oxford Tutorial, and it has on the cover, you, thank you, you taught me how to think. Well, that's about all you get now. But the idea of you having an, an intellectual life. So I picked my um, concluding um, statement from Alan Bloom, who in his, it was a Jeremiah, the closing of the American mind, and you know the subtitle, how higher education has failed democracy and impoverished the souls of today's students. But the biggest section is on um, the student experience at the end. And he says, when a first-ranked college or university, what does a first-ranked college or university present today to a teenager leaving home for the first time? Off, off into the adventure of a liberal education. He has four years of, of freedom to discover himself, a space between the intellectual wasteland he has left behind and the inevitable dreary professional training that awaits him after the Black of Orient. In this short time, he must learn that there is the exhilaration of it and digest enough to sustain himself in the intellectual deserts he is destined to, to traverse. He must do this, that is, if he has to have any hope of a higher life. The importance of these years for an American cannot be underestimated. They are education, so their civilizations only chance to get to him. Their civilizations only chance to get to him. So there are, for us, three years, there are an important three years where you have the opportunity to get a, a higher level of education that really, really is important. So actually to have the possibility of an intellectual life. And if that civilization is not there to grab our students, then what is to blame fundamentally to me, is that you all conceive teachers and most institutions as young people as very different. That some are bronze, some are silver, and some are gold. And the basis for achieving a real university in the Newman sense is to start thinking of all children as gold. Excellent. Thank you. Kirsty. 
Okay, thank you. Um, well, I'm going to shake things up a little bit, actually, after my eminent speakers there, and move things a bit more vocational, you might say. Not least, um, I'm here today really representing not just City and Guilds, but also FAB, which is a collective voice for sort of awarding and assessment, and is delighted to be able to be here at what is an important set of public scrutiny and debates about what is a very important issue. I'm going to start with a quote as well, but, um, but mine's a pretty basic one from the Oxford Dictionary. Learning. One definition of learning is the acquisition of knowledge or skills through study, experience, or being taught. There is nothing in that definition that says it has to be at university. So why aren't we all considering vocational learning and apprenticeships? Well, perhaps one reason that we're not is that since 1721, we've had a total of 55 prime ministers. How many do you think went to didn't go to university? Only eight. And since 1997, we've had five Prime Ministers, four went to Oxford, one went to Edinburgh. And how are we all feeling right now about the state of British politics? So the idealistic view of attending university for learning's sake and developing life skills is possibly a little bit outdated in this modern, fast-changing world that we're living in. And the idea that you go to university at 18, you gain a degree, and your learning is complete, job done, really, I think probably a slight challenge to some of the comments that were made before. And a, and a little bit tongue-in-cheek to the reasons that Alison said why going to university is good. Um, of course, university experience is a great one. Sex, parties, alcohol, freedom, independence, new friends. Learn something, maybe, if you're lucky. More sex, more parties, more alcohol. Put off work for three, four years. Feel clever. Or worse than that, feel more clever than those who didn't go to university. Even, possibly, get a better job and earn more. Is that last fact even true? 50,000 debt for a life experience you could have gained by, say, doing a gap year around the world for a lot less. And how much learning actually takes place these days in university? How many days are actually taught, faced university lectures? And as has been mentioned, we are at a crisis point, whether we like it or not, in terms of the skill shortages. And employers are lamenting, literally daily, about the fact that graduates don't have the right skills or attitude that are fit for the workplace. Not their fault. And indeed, graduates are often are coming out with a very unrealistic, unobtainable dream of landing that golden job. And so rightly, do, rightly feel broke, let down by the broken promise of university. £50,000 of debt in return for a lack of employable skills and unrealistic expectation of your immediate value in the workplace isn't perhaps so clever after all. And what the majority of the public don't actually know is due to the way in which the government structured the whole loan systems, which really aren't loans anyway, let's not kid ourselves, means the only people who will ultimately be paying back the debt is us, the British taxpayer. So let's look at some other options. The National Apprenticeship System has been running since Tudor times and since then has moved, um, has moved away from the apprenticeships we associate with the, the great traditional crafts that we often associate with apprenticeships to now helping engineers, lawyers, nurses, accountants, even today airline pilots learn their trade through an apprenticeship. Most careers can now be achieved through a good apprenticeship and yet the snob snobbery against those who attend university still unfortunately exists. There are plenty of qualified individuals out there earning more than those who gained a, a university degree. Changes afoot. Parents and young people are no longer saying, oh, university and 50,000 debt. Yes, please. University is not the only route, and it's not always the best one either, although it should, of course, exist. What we now need is more humility across the whole of the education skills sector. More importantly, a three-way real debate and collaboration between employers, between HE and the further education system. 
Only then can we really sit down and talk about how we solve the skills and productivity crisis that we face, as well as continue to build those all-important aspirations for young people and adults alike, and remove this two-tier system where one tier is able to feel superior to the other. I've now met hundreds, in fact, actually thousands of apprenticeships during my career, young and old, and I am more confident than ever that an apprenticeship can be far more taxing and rigorous by the very nature of the learning on the job, combined with the theoretical content and the assessments that they have to go through. In addition, an apprentice will be earning and learning and not stacking up debt. Current data actually shows that nearly half of all employed grads are earning uh, the same as they would have done in a non-grad role. And what about the idea of earning more with a degree? Again, recent data shows us that those with higher level vocational qualifications in subjects such as STEM will earn an average 5K more than the equivalent university graduate by the age of 30. So why do we continue to have this split system and the assumption that HE is good and everything else is second rate when the evidence just doesn't back it up? The recent Orgore report, which I think was one of the most sensible and pragmatic pieces of educational policy, and that Alison actually worked on too, that we've seen for many years, and yet it does appear, unfortunately, to have been kicked into the long grass. One of the uh, recommendations that Orgore made was for a lifelong learning system, an allowance to facilitate access to higher level learning at any point in our careers. Orgore recognised that the concept of three linear stages of one education, two work, three require, uh, re retire, along with the 100-year life, was now upon us, and it's outdated and no longer supports the modern world. Lifelong learning and employment are no longer linear. We need multiple pathways in order to support us through our multiple careers. So to conclude, whatever happens next, I feel very strongly that without a properly funded learning e lifelong learning ecosystem, there may not be much point to anything, really, because without aspiration which is fueled by learning, skills and education, no doubt about that, university, vocational, professional alike, without that aspiration being set, the result of which then helps future-proof people's lives by providing income and enrichment, this then in turn fulfils the talent pipeline that UK PLC so urgently needs. So yes, what would be the point of almost anything? Thank you. Janelle. So I didn't get the memo to start with a quote, but um, <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can answer your question as, is um, university delivering? And I would say no, because I haven't had sex parties or alcohol, apparently in the ways that I should. So I will be talking to Kings about that immediately. Um, but one thing that I did kind of want to touch upon is um, this idea of are too many young people going to university? And I think maybe I'm going to be in the middle of what's been said. So I think that when we say are too many young people going to university, we're kind of implying that some young people should stop. And when we're saying some young people should stop, we need to be careful with what young people are we talking about. I do think there should be an alternative to university. I'm a university student, I'm in my fourth year, and I do chemistry at King's, and I love it, and I'm a big, big advocate for university, but it's not for everyone. Um, my sister's 16, she doesn't want to go to university, it doesn't really interest her. We learn in very different ways, we're very different people, and she should have something of equal calibre to facilitate her career progression as I do. Because if we're being honest, even though there is an alternative to university, and even though skills-wise, learning-wise, it is of the equivalent to university, socially it is not viewed as the same. And I think to lie to young people and say that doing an apprenticeship is going to open the same doors that doing a degree is, in general is unfair. And the reason, so when I got this 
request to be on the panel, I kind of had a different argument to say, and then I was thinking a lot about it. And um, I come from Dudley, which is a working class town in um, the West Midlands. And I've been very lucky to, from the beginning of my education, to progress through um, to better academic institutions as I go. And as I go along, so now finishing at King's, the people that come from the same background as me, as in from a low socioeconomic background, kind of dwindles. And you kind of in, are introduced more to students who went to private schools or to grammar schools. And just to give a quick like anecdote, when I was at my secondary school, I said that I wanted to be a chemist. I wanted to be a chemistry researcher, not a pharmacist. And the careers advisor said that if I wanted to be a doctor, which is not what I said, that I should do, um, which is it's the normal thing, chemist, doctor, same thing. Um, they were like, you should do um, health and social care. That's what, that's what you should do. And then you should look at going into medicine some way after that. So that was cool. Um, and a lot of my friends were told, like, told them what they wanted to do. And they were like, there's, there's no point doing that. Why don't you be like a hairdresser or like a plumber or something? And we were constantly bombarded with this like rhetoric that university is a waste of time. It's so expensive. You're going to be bogged down with all of these loans and all of this debt. There's no point in going. You can get an apprenticeship and do the same thing. And you're earning money at the same time. What's not to want? When I went to college and I traveled out of my town and went to kind of the richer side of the borough to a selective college that was filled with people who traveled all the way from the West Midlands to this college. It was one of the best in the areas. Nobody mentioned debt. Like, debt was not a thing that you talk about. It was an investment. You're investing in your future. You shouldn't think about it as repaying a loan. It's actually more like a graduate tax. And you're invested in yourself, and it's worth it. And you should go to university. It would be absolutely ridiculous to think anybody would stand there at my college and say, you want to be an engineer? Actually, you should consider an apprenticeship because you would get to the same place. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing an apprenticeship. I think there should be another option. But my worry is when we move with this whole idea that we should stop sending all young people to university and we should introduce apprenticeships is that actually we're just enforcing this idea on young people from a low socioeconomic background and we're reinforcing the old kind of elitist institution of universities being a place that are only accessible to people who have wealth from their parents, from wherever and whatever else. People talk about people going to university and wasting all of their years and doing silly degrees that don't mean anything. In my experience, being at King's, that's actually a lot of students who already have wealth and it doesn't matter to them and they can go and take those years out. So I think trying to bypass this issue by introducing things like apprenticeships, all of that, you're not stopping the issue. You're just taking out other students that could have succeeded in university and putting them in apprenticeships. What we should have is an equal opportunity where we get to decide as a student. Sometimes I do think if I went back and I was 18 and there was no pressure to go to university, would I? Like, would I have studied chemistry? Would I have studied anything else if I had the money and money didn't matter? I don't know, would I have done like liberal arts? Because that seems quite cool. But that wasn't an option to me. Nor was an apprenticeship because to me it seemed like I was shutting doors before I'd even entered the job market, like right now, what I want to do, an apprenticeship might seem cool, but in a few years, maybe if I wanted to take a more um, senior role in wherever I was, I was going to be locked out because I didn't have an undergraduate degree. Also, in a job market where things are constantly um, changing, I was very skeptical about learning a trade because what happens if that trade isn't needed? 
in the future, then what do I do? Then what do my qualifications mean? Um, having an undergraduate degree, which is a pretty common thing that you'll hear amongst most students, is that you take it because, yeah, you don't know exactly what you want to do now, but in the future, you've learned transferable skills and this will open doors that you don't even know exist yet. That's why most students go to university. I'm not saying that that's right. I'm not saying that's the way we want it to be, but that's just what it is. Um, I think that we need options that a young person can look at and say, I want to take these options and it's not going to hinder me in the future. It's a little bit of a sticky one because it's like what comes first, the chicken or the egg, because can you have the opportunities and force young people to take them? But then, you know, somebody's going to have to take a pitfall. But I am worried of who we are enforcing this idea that university is a waste of time on because the people who have historically always occupied educational institutions will continue to go there, whether you tell them it's a waste of time or not. What you're actually taking out of universities is students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, students from different backgrounds that don't really see themselves in university. And for them, going to university was a bit of a financial risk or was something that was kind of unprecedented in their family. And you're putting the rhetoric on them that university is a waste of time, which I don't think is true. I think it's fair to say the panel have set out what the debate's about, and I don't know there's much ambiguity about where they stand on the issue. So it'd be good to see um, if anyone has any questions or points they would um, like to raise. Okay, that's a good start. I, uh, the, the Secretary for State for Higher Education um, last February uh, 2018, Sam, it was Sam Gamaya at the time, said that universities are not about knowledge anymore, they're about student wellbeing. Um, and um, that universities had to, to stop um, thinking about it in terms of knowledge, but to think about it in terms of giving the students a good experience. So I work in a, a major Russell Group institution, and everything is about uh, giving students uh, a good student experience. And that actually means looking after the well-being, and that actually means not challenging them. And so therefore, uh, because, because uh, the, the universities are, are erecting this uh, complaints edifice uh, of students who are told they're going to get a good student experience and when they don't, uh, they actually complain and universities are tied up in, in huge complaints procedures. So um, the university I work in, um, I, I'd love it to be the knowledge place that Dennis talks about. And you know, on some, on some occasions it still is that. But it's much more about um, not challenging students. It's much more about trigger warnings. It's much more about uh, shutting down free speech. I mean, it's really, really difficult to really speak your mind in a university these days. Um, and so it, it, that makes me worry that what's happening in universities is much more about um, young people developing some kind of moral education or some kind of moral etiquette rather than actually being challenged. Because if, we're, if they're going to change, they have to be challenged. Um, and that's, that is just not happening. So to get to the vision that Dennis talked about, which I completely agree with, I think we need to take up this issue um, and not just act like it's not there. Excellent. This person with the mic then, can you pass it behind you? But we'll hear from this person first. Yeah, um, I spent the, the last 10 years of my career working in a large FE college, but running an A-level centre within that college, and it had a large HE department as well. So I kind of got a taste of a, a lot of these debates. Um, we found ourselves picking up the pieces more often than we were happy with or, uh, of the consequences of catastrophically poor or non-existent careers advice and guidance in secondary schools. So I'd be interested to hear from the panel how they see 
the good, bad or indifferent guidance that's out there yeah. having an impact on the routes young people take? I dropped out of university the first time I went. I'm now at a different institution and enjoying it a lot more than the first time. But uh, when I think back at my time at the place that I dropped out of, I, f I have a lot of emotions. But honestly, one of the biggest emotions is anger because it was a fucking joke, to put it frankly. Like, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine an environment in which fewer expectations could have been placed upon me. It was so ridiculously easy and I felt there was so little effort made by, made by the institution and I'm not saying that every course at every university is like that, of course not. But, um, you know, I think if that's what it was like at a place that's generally considered one of the better universities in this country, I can't imagine what it's like at the bad ones. And so my, this leads me to wonder, why, why do we let universities get away with this? Um, you, know, you know, why? University... Like, I, I don't know if you're, you're familiar with Lambda School. This is an organization in the U.S. that teaches people... Mm -hmm programming and they've got an interesting model where um, it's free, it's free to attend and they, uh, they make money by taking a percentage of your salary, I don't know the it's exact details, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, they take a percentage of your salary and your first tech job and whatnot, so if they fail in their stated goal of helping you start a career in tech, they don't make any money, so that's a, a strong incentive for them to actually, you know, provide a good education and do what they say they're going to do, so I, I wonder if maybe, uh, maybe if universities in this country had a more... A, better incentive structure, then maybe uh, fewer people would have an experience like the one I had. Yeah, um, I'm speaking as someone who lectures two days a week at university and then spends three days a week working in industry after a 20-year industry career. And so just m my comments are based upon that background. So uh, firstly, the thing is that at the moment, that 70, I think it's um, Frank Ferrudi reported that 70% of undergraduates are, are reporting anxiety and stress. And because I think there has to be a conversation here about why on earth are we putting people in these environments where clearly it is making them stressed and anxious. And my, my actual supposition is that I, I do think it's fantastic that we've got universities, but there's a reality here. I interview A-level students who want to go to university, and I'm, and I'm just being honest. A lot of them are not suited to an academic career. They're not suited. And when I have fellow lecturers say, oh, but that's our job, Andrew. Our job is to make them academic. Right? Then, well, well what, what was the purpose of education before that? And so you do... That, that, when I was in Austria, I was lecturing in Austria two years ago, and this Austrian business lecturer said, Andrew, we have to be very careful we're not giving them a cheque that they cannot cash. In other words, they're buying certificates. They're buying a piece of paper that has, actually got, has not got any relevance. Now, in my, in my consulting career, I employ graduates. So I've, I, I've interviewed a lot of graduates this year to work in, in companies. And I'm sorry to say is that when, you, when I speak to my clients and said, what sort of graduate do you want, right? Uh, they say, everyone's a graduate, Andrew. Everyone's got a degree. They said, what I want is social skills. I want personal skills. I want communication ability. I spoke to graduates this year on the phone. And I'm really horrible to say this, that they just don't, do not have oracy. They cannot speak. After three years of a degree, as our friend said over there, after three years of a degree, and I'll tell you why that is, is because at the moment, as our friend said in the stripy top here, if I say to a student, what's your opinion, they're allowed to, they're allowed to, 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 to not speak in class. And also, I get emails, and every lecturer does as well, saying, please don't, don't ask this question, don't, put pressure, don't ask this student questions, because it makes them anxious. And if they're not in class, don't, don't send them an email, because that, that makes them stressed. And so there's an issue here about, is this the right environment for people, if it's making them stressed, and it's not giving them a job opportunity?
Yeah, I just would say I, I think this is about the massive expansion of the university, and um, I think it's Mr. Hayes, is it, who said about the gold and the silver and the bronze, and of course what you're saying there is that we should uh, people see gold as worth more than than silver, and silver is worth more than brass and whatever, but. I think difference doesn't have to mean that uh, uh, some people are worth more just because they're academic and, and, and others are worth less because they're not. The fact is that, uh, like the gentleman here was saying, the massive expansion of universities has just meant that a load of people who are in no way academic whatsoever have gone into universities. And the quality is abominable. I remember being goldsmiths, having a lecture on some French uh, linguist, and uh, we went to the seminar room, and of course the, the, the seminar leader, who probably wasn't very capable himself, was a, aware that this was going to be way too tough for the uh, group of people he had in front of him. So he, he demonstrated this uh, uh, incredibly complex theory by playing a bit of family guy. And uh, this is the sort of thing that goes on. When my mum went to university, 3% of people uh, got a first. Now it's 25%. And yet, like the gentleman here says, uh, they can't talk, they can't think, they haven't read a book, they can't handle a, a challenge of their opinion. So the, the institution has been completely debased by a, by a kind of ideologically uh, driven uh, and, and misguided policy of massive expansion. And uh, we should just close a load of them down and put them back to what they're supposed to be doing, which is elite academic work, which only a few people are, are, are kitted for. Yeah, my point follows the one of, uh, from the front about the drive for well-being in universities and the rise of stress and anxiety. The figure's actually 85% in the most recent poll. And it isn't just amongst students who traditionally didn't go to university. It's not just amongst new cohorts of students. And the advocacy group Student Minds this week launched its leadership campaign for mentally healthy universities in response to an unprecedented mental health crisis amongst students. And a key part of this is to change the curriculum, the teaching methods and the assessment methods to become, quote, mentally health, sorry, mental health friendly curricula. So it seems to me it picks up a, a phrase that Alison used, which is it seems that that is becoming a new force for good. The idea that universities following schools over the last uh, 15 to 20 years are now responsible for promoting positive mental health. And this is becoming a key part of their goal. And I think that's changing very much what the point of university is. Yeah, so I've just got a few points. The one to do with the, you said about the amount of firsts. And I think it is just the whole point that everything in education is used to get students. Like, universities are so much more popular now. And it's just the whole thing is, like, I go, I go to a grammar school and nothing has ever angered me more than this one assembly that I had, which was like, oh yes, this amount of students get a first in, like, it was two universities in America, like, one was Harvard, and one was like, not quite Harvard, but still pretty good. And it's like, you know what, if you don't want to go to Harvard because you're stressed, go to this university, even though it's still one of the top universities. And it has never angered me so much, because I know for a fact that there are people in my year who are not academic, who should not go to university at all and one of my best friends goes to a non-grammar school and she she does not know like how best to go about anything to get into university and it angers me so much because it is still so, like people like it's more people but it's still such an like elite thing to do with your background and it just 
yeah, because I think the whole point of it is to get the students to get money. Like, I do see that because students don't want to go, but they don't know what to do anymore. So they're like pushing ideas into their faces and they just take it because they honestly don't know. So you have to answer everything in great depth and nuance. <laughs> uh, and this time we have one minute each, presumably, right? Just obviously pick up what you think is a, uh, okay, some more okay. useful okay. ones. I, I you might have to red card us on this, too, in case we... Uh... <laughs> if we're going to go in the same order, let, let me just remark on a, on a few things. I mean, I do think the vast expansion in universities is at the root of a, of a lot of what's going on. I mean, not everything, but, but a lot. And, and um, I think I, I said that, that part of the... Part of the, the issue and part of the, the stress for everybody is that um, oh sorry the, the part of the part of the issue and part of the stress for everybody is that um, the occupational promise that a university used to be able to make and deliver on to everybody is no longer the case when you actually have a situation in which a very large proportion of the population this is not just in this country has a degree but the jobs which used to be graduate only are, are a far smaller or are a far smaller proportion of the workforce than, than you have now as graduates. I think I'd like to say just a little bit about what universities are and aren't doing. I'm I mean, I'm, I'm delighted that Janelle still thinks she's learning something at King's, which is also my university, which is in chemistry. And I think and hope that the students that I teach also have quite a lot still demanded of them. And it is also true that certain skills are important in the labour market. So if you do a STEM subject, there is no question that the, the demand for your skills is, is, is far wide, more widespread than it would be if you did a business degree. And I say that as somebody who teaches in King's Business School. Um, but there is, I think there is absolutely no question that universities have been... They have partly been undermined from outside and they have partly been willing accomplices in a real flight from standards and demands on students. I think there's absolutely no question. And the huge inflation, which has been obvious in this country, in the number of firsts and two ones that has been given, is, is something which you simply cannot justify in terms of the performance that is being asked of students or that, that is being given. That doesn't mean that at the top end standards have necessarily fallen, but there is a, a real undermining here. And my sense is that we will, as universities, reap the whirlwind. And that is a problem because the modern university in its, in its glory is a product of autonomy. If you want to find the best university systems in the world, they are those which are largely autonomous and not dictated by government. And the competition for students and also the pressure to always look after student welfare. If you want to get money spent in a university, you say, it'll improve the student experience. You talk to any member of any senior management team. They want to get a project through. You go and you argue and you say, it'll improve the student experience. And that's partly because that's, that's what's asked of you. But I, I actually think we have a dynamic going now which, which is, is really, really worrying. The, the other thing that I, I do want to say is that um, to a certain extent, I, I think we, we do set up a false dichotomy when we talk about being a, di a difference between doing a degree and doing an apprenticeship because what is really important is that people in a society should have access to the ability to, to learn 
and to be challenged at, at any point in their lives, and it doesn't need to be in three years between 18 and 21, which has become far more common than, than, than it used to be. And I think that's a, a, a real challenge. And if I wanted to say another thing which is really worrying about modern universities, it's that 100 years ago, as I know Kirsty knows, um, they were all encouraged to open adult education de departments by a post-war commission, and many, many of them did. And year by year, over the last sort of quarter century, for financial reasons, they have overwhelmingly closed them down. And I think they should be deeply ashamed of this. Um, and it is a sign of how a number of things, including the pressure all the time within a university to be prestigious in the eyes of the world so that you are desirable, so that your degrees are seen as the ones from which people will make money. It puts endless pressure on the university and it means that they become as focused on narrow issues, particularly research, as, as any for-profit company. And I think that that, again, is, is really worrying. There's also this whole issue of open access, but I've had too much time, so I'll pass over. <laughs> I'm just going to concentrate on a couple of issues about the way we're talking in this debate. Because you, know, you, you talk about apprenticeships being equivalent to degrees because that you can have the same sort of learning. Yeah. It's not about learning. When you go to university, it's not yeah, about learning. No, I didn't remember no, it's the way people talk generally. They talk about learning. It's not about learning. It's about knowledge. And knowledge is gained by reflection. And you bring the intellect to bear on what you've learned. It's a completely different thing. Also, and Alison did it as well, talking about skills. When you do STEM subjects, you do skills. But I know from places like Rolls-Royce, well, sometimes when we talk you know, quickly, it just becomes we talk about skills. When you go to Rolls-Royce, they want people who have a deep knowledge of mathematics. They don't want people who've got some skills, especially not those communication skills. Well, I think I'd call it knowledge, but there's a different issue. And I think... Um, you know, you may be able to do a few sums and that may be a skill, but the whole understanding of mathematics as a subject is different. And um, it's also the way people talk. We, you know, the mass expansion and those people we let into the universities, you just think, who are those people? The ones who weren't fit for university? That's the same thinking I was saying. It's the bronze who were let in. It's not that the universities failed them. Everybody, we can go on forever with the Jeremiah mind about how universities are failing them and great inflation. But, but fundamentally, it's how you see those students and it is the case, it depends what courses you go to, whether you do really well in universities. And you know, when you use casual phrases like the less academically able, right, you're talking about the sort of students that are going to be denied a university because that's how people think about them. They think they're not worth teaching. That's the fundamental thing. You find teachers, we've been interviewing teachers, who don't think all students can learn mathematics. And those deeply ingrained views are what undermine um, the ability for, for people to achieve. And I don't really... you know care what happens to you when you get out of university if you do something well and i hear this thing about communication skills all the time well, the, my solution to that is give everybody a philosophy degree they will be able to communicate and really communicate really well but it's not that you'll get some pathetic communication skills class that's what the outcome of this is i think so why not you know if you want people to communicate and by the way if you want a good job philosophy is a good degree to have right so you, know, you can still de de deliver what the economy needs if you think that's your aim by doing traditional subjects. So I would say your method is bring back traditional subjects. And just one last word on why the expansion is, is useful to society. Because it did away with the youth labour market. The biggest, and it, it's consciously, you put people into universities and keep them there, 
happy. You know, somebody said it's like being un unemployed, but your parents are proud of you. But it's um, you're there till you're 21, and you know you can mess about. You know, idea. It's all sex and parties. You know, well, I don't know what university people go to, but you know it could be a good experience. It could be an experience. It could offer you an intellectual life. And the people who are failing that, it's not government policies. It's lecturers and the teachers who produce the students that go to university who are not able to cope with the demands there. Uh, there's a lot about what Dennis has said that I fundamentally don't agree with, but there are, there's one point I do agree with, is that all people, we should start from the, pres uh, the premise that all people are bright, all people deserve an opportunity, all people deserve a chance. How we respond to that through our teaching and learning and through our system is where we fundamentally got to get better at having more choice and better career advice and guidance and the things that have come up as issues today. If you've not read it, then I would definitely recommend you have a look at the Harry Lambert article, the new statements, statements article that was out in August, because I think if you read that, it will actually sort of talk to a lot of the issues that many of you, I think, were rightly so agitating in, in, your, in your questions in terms of you know, the lament of um, the fact that wh whether we like it or not, um, the issue we've got here is that policy incentives do drive behaviour. That's true in HE, it's true in FE. So if you look at how HE is incentivised right now, that is what's driving the behaviours. Absolutely fundamentally, and that's true of any other skill system. And that's unfortunately uh, a reality. I think the other thing I just want to come back to is about the le you know, learning to be employable. Yes, learning is about learning other skills and other knowledge, acquisition and knowledge, but ultimately, in today's modern world, we have to compete. We have to be employable. It is a fact, and yet it's also a fact that by 2022, and I'm sorry just to throw, keep throwing stats at you, but only 30% of jobs are likely to be needed to be at graduate level. So I think we've just got to start getting realistic about what the role is of the different options that we have within our education system that allow for uh, enabling all people to have their moment of brightness, but at the same time not pushing them down any one particular, particular route or road or saying one is better than the other. The premise of my argument is that we need both and we need them to work together in a much more sensible collaborative dialogue if we're going to fulfil those ambitions of individuals as well as what we need as a workforce. Yeah. Ooh, there's a lot to say. So, I think um, there's a common misconception about university, and I think that's... I always struggle to understand why students are always at war with everybody about the student experience, and that is that university is not a place for learning for the sake of learning, and it has not been for a very long time, right? And that, that is the truth. Like, you don't go there because you're like, oh, I want to bathe in, like, the baths of Aristotle or something. Like... Maybe that's what university was once, but it's not anymore. And I think you made a really good point in your opening um, speech about how university is a place of um, where you can network, where you get opportunities that you won't necessarily get in other aspects of life. And I think it's very key now that university sits in a different context, that students, and I think this is where if we want to talk about the mental health and all of that, it's not just about your degree. It's about being employable. It's about doing other things. You need to be volunteering. You need to be in this society. You need to be in that society because everybody has a degree. And um, also, I think about, you mentioned earlier about, it's about where you get your degree from. You're very conscious of the fact that I go to King's. King's isn't Cambridge. I'm competing with people who are applying for Cambridge. So I need to break my neck to make sure that when they see my degree, there's other things along with it to make them consider my application the same way they will somebody from Cambridge who probably got like a third class. But that's okay, we move. Um, so I think also, going back to your point about skills, um, Dennis, so I'm a chemist, 
And I would say, yeah, okay, I have a lot of knowledge, but I also have a lot of skills that are more important. Like having knowledge doesn't mean anything as a chemist if you can't apply it and you don't have the skills. And, and some of the most, and this is where I think things are a bit of a crux, is that in chemistry we talk a lot about having people who have instinct and people who have um, book smart is that you can have people who get straight first classes, they get really high percentages, they're really, really smart on paper, and they cannot navigate a lab. They are awful. They have no intuition. They don't know how things work. And just because they can draw things out and they have not a lot of knowledge doesn't mean they're a good chemist. It doesn't mean they're good at what they do. So I don't think university is even about having a lot of knowledge or hoarding a lot of knowledge it's about what you can do with that which I think is more important and that's where skills and apprenticeships should be valued the same way as a university because that's no different so I think this elitist model of that we should all just kind of sit around and read textbooks and think about the greater consequence of like the human existence is nice for some people but that's not really what university is and I actually don't think it's what it should be anymore. Just one very quick point, which is, imagine if universities were incentivized on the job destinations, genuinely so, but they were blind in the sense that when you apply for that job, it doesn't matter where you're from, King's, or Oxford, or Manchester, or any, any other university, or Coventry, because the employer won't see that. What they'll see is you, and what they'll see is what you are as a whole person and those behaviours. So I think this is as much about how employers respond to how recruitment works, and it shouldn't be done on elitism, she said. There's a, uh, there's a lady in green who's uh, there, and also there, there's two kind of guys at the back. So if you want to take, yeah, but you can go first. Oh my goodness, um, Janelle, you, you do give me hope. I've got your name right there. Um, with your opening uh, address and the way you nuanced it, I thought, thank God, a young person who's in there navigating, excellent, so well done. I'm biased about you because I went to school about 20 miles down the road um, and I'm shocked at part of what you said along the lines of a teacher who uh, advises somebody who thinks they want to do chemistry. It's, it's suggested that you want to be a doctor. And if you want to be a doctor, well, no, go and be a, a healthcare worker. You know, lower the aspiration, lower the aspiration because you're working class, basically. And I'm particularly shocked because exactly the same thing to happen to me in the 1970s, 20 miles down the road, age 15, and I'm going, I, I'd like to do, I'd like to do, and they go, but you've been offered a job in the carpet factory designing, because you're really good at art, designing. I'm going, well, I want to design something. You know, so, you know, and then peculiarly enough, and why I'm super biased about you, is I ended up as a Dudley MP. You know, so things go around, don't they? <laughs> But your, your second contribution is the most important one, really. We need young people like you to stand up and be counted. Yeah. You know, you have got to stand for public office or somewhere where you make an influence. And, 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 young, pe <laughs> and young people who have that ability to think. Yeah. It's not necessarily that I agree with you, although I do. It's not that. It's that ability to think and navigate your way through it. I'm really disappointed with Janelle's uh, second point. Um, I liked your point about equal opportunity. I was, I was with you at the, uh, at the beginning, but you've lost me in the end. I want you to bathe in, bathe in the baths of Aristotle, whatever that means. But I want you to read Aristotle. I want you to read Plato and think what that means to scientific logic. And I want you to get excited about that. And that's your trump card against uh, Cambridge University students. So I, 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 really, I really think it's disappointing that you're coming from such a utilitarian 
applied sort of scientific uh, argument in your second half. On Dennis, I read Dennis's think piece before the, the conference, and I thought, my God, this is incredibly optimistic. Uh, let's get 100% of people through universities. But I think it's a really controversial but important um, point to put out there. But the problem is, if we think of the trickle-down of higher education, further education, and secondary education, is it's because the uh, higher education has imploded and we do not have intellectual leaders that we can't possibly offer uh, Dennis's um, uh, model at the moment. I mean, I used to think 50% was too much and I used to sort of go along with your equal opportunities argument that, yes, there are horses for courses, gold, silver, bronze. Some people should be um, uh, in uh, uh, vocational training. We shouldn't be biased about it. But if you look at Dennis's argument, I think it's a really interesting argument, but it's because at the top end, where subjects and disciplines are actually should be defined in the academy, because it's imploded uh, and because they can't lead, we can't possibly encourage more people to get a decent education because it isn't there uh, uh, anymore. Having taught history at university, at five different universities over the past 20 years, uh, it's, it has been transformed. And the real problem I think we have is not with the students and not with the lecturers. It's that we are not demanding enough anymore and that we are letting people, you know, anything that the students seem to want, they seem to get. And we do constant opinions. Students' opinions don't matter. They don't know anything. That's the first thing I say is <laughs> sit down, shut up, and listen. And then you will know something, and then you can actually tell me something. But the key thing is they don't know anything, and yet we're doing all of this stuff. If they're not stressed and anxious, I'm not doing my job. I think that's the most important thing, is to actually transform them. I remember a politics lecturer told me, uh, I don't care if you come in here a communist or a conservative, as long as if you come in here a communist, you leave a conservative, or if you come in here a conservative, you leave a communist. Both are okay, but it should be transformational. And if you don't challenge people, then you're going to have terrible education, and that is unfortunately the way we're headed. Okay, I think, uh, is Dennis saying that the problem is secondary school teachers who've not created students that are ready for university? I just wanted to check that. And like has just been said about Janelle, I thought when you were speaking first time, uh, Kirsty was like raising her eyes. She, I thought you absolutely smashed her. But when Kirsty just came back, you would just basically did everything she said. Like you capitulated. You made the, originally the working class argument for intellect, and then you shifted to skills and well, I don't know all that stuff. It, it doesn't mean that much to me, I'm afraid. Well, there's uh, the problem. I know, I know, and that's why we that's why we're here talking about it. But what I'm trying to say is. What, um, I think you actually, uh, as this guy's just said, you are too composed. You are not stressed enough, not, not because liberal arts would be a cool option. For example, you need what some American colleges have done, which I would, uh, we, we took some kids from our high school, secondary school, sorry, to New York, to Columbia, which is a, they have a core curriculum, which is a, one option you could discuss as part of this. Your core curriculum in the first year is a solid liberal arts education in the classics, as well as then your, whatever your major is. Would that be one way to bring back the life of the mind in England, or is it antiquated? But I think you, you are, originally I thought, wow, really composed, your wordplay, superb. I now think you need a lot more intellectual pressure to make you a little bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, rounded, there you go. A, a bit more balanced, but anyway, it's good. Um, just thought I'd sort of 
ratified Janelle's point about this sort of very romanticized notion of universities as being this place of wonderful academic enrichment. Oh, isn't it lovely? We can read these Aristotelian notions of knowledge and we can study Bach and all this. It's not. It's where you go and get a BA or a BSc in your subject. And I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. We're not the ancient Greeks anymore. But that's not my point. I'm really sorry. Um, I'm afraid this debate sometimes is too afraid of upset, of maybe being a bit too controversial. I do think like just being black and white about it, some universities are great and some aren't. Mm -hmm. um, if you have, okay, this sounds, this sounds really arrogant, but I went to Durham University, it's quite a decent university. My chances and job prospects in life are going to be, are going to significantly outweigh someone who went to a university that is perhaps a more modern university, and that's just the way it is. So maybe this debate, whole homogenous notion of what a university is, is wrong. Some universities, King's, I could name about 20, UCL, Bristol, Edinburgh, Glasgow, all these places are good, serious academic institutions, and others are not. And we just have to face up to that, and I think the ones that aren't are selling a dangerous lie to their students. Uh, I think there's a factor here that's, um, that's, been, uh, that's been ignored um, throughout this whole debate, and um, it's the fact that some students like, love their subjects, and they go to university to have access to world-leading professors and archives, because that's what they want to do for three years. They want to they study the subject that they've loved, perhaps since, you know, since they started their school career. I'm applying to do history next year at Exeter, or hopefully wherever um, I end up going. But um, I think this idea that, like, you know, you should, university is just a it's just a vehicle to get that degree, and the next kind of the, it's just a kind of step in your career path. I think um, it's obviously a quite a sore nerve here. There's a lot there's a lot of different opinions regarding university, but um, I'm 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 applying to university because I love history, and that's what that's what I'm spending my money on. Uh, I'm going to have three years where I'm at an institution where I have access to the resources that I've never had previously, and. Um, I just think that you know, we shouldn't. There's a lot. There's clearly a lot of issues with universities, which has been outlined by uh, people here today. But um, that's my reasoning. I hope. Uh, I, that sh I think that's. I believe that should be the main reason people choose to go to university. Okay. So we're going to take the last question to you, and then the person in front of you. So um, I'm just following on from the previous speaker. I think he expressed really well the kind of direction that I would like to see university in terms of the way it's presented to young people. I have to say that the, the impression that I get from the panel largely is not appealing in terms of what university is offering. It is not about a positive engagement with what they are studying. I don't get that from what you're saying. And that is the only reason you should want to go to university, is to study something. And therefore, if you have been at school and you have been, uh, you know, your, the fire's been lit, the, the obvious is to go to university to study that subject and continue it. If you don't know why you're going to university, then I'm not surprised you get a bit stressed and upset about what you are doing. So perhaps we need to go back to what is the purpose of the university and make that clear to young people, and then, then we can maybe work this one out a bit more. Uh, yeah, just a point about the fact that I found the whole discussion, uh, although it's interesting, it's very, very narrowly focused on the future being about having a job, being your employment prospects, and um, 
Kirsty quoted this figure that only 30% of jobs in future will need people to be educated to degree level. But what is the problem with aspiring to a society where everyone's actually been educated to degree level in the sense that our minds have been expanded, we've got more knowledge, and we can actually be um, all uh, more active participants in society? There's nothing wrong with people having all different kinds of jobs um, and all be educated to a higher level. Absolutely. I'm sorry I can't take in everyone's questions. There's, there's plenty more opportunities to discuss after the debate's um, done. Um, but so I'm going to have to ask you to go yeah, in reverse order. So we'll start with Janelle. Yeah, you really get, are you going to have like about uh, a minute? Okay. Um, I'm already getting, I'm already getting carded now. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'll be very brief. Um, but plenty of opportunities to carry on. Um, so I'd just very quickly like to defend myself. Um, <laughs> so um, I think, um, first of all, I am allowed to disagree and also agree with fellow panellists and that be my own opinion. It doesn't mean that I need to further educate myself. It's just what I think. And I think that um, the point I was making about bathing in the baths of Aristotle is that, yeah, of course, I went to university because I love chemistry. I'm coming at it from a different angle. I'm a STEM student. Loving chemistry and having the knowledge of chemistry is hand in hand with having a skill. Right, that's the only point I was trying to make. And that also I think that the idea of going to university and you just read books and it's great and then you leave is quite an elitist model because not everybody can afford to go to university to do that, right? There needs to be an aspect of, and I hate that that's what university is now, but there has to be a reason. Like there has to be something you can come out with afterwards because I think my worry is that when we revert to this idea of university just being a place where we can go and read books and everything's wonderful and then you leave, that works if you have money and something to fall back on, right? But if you don't, learning the skills and learning knowledge and having that hand in hand is actually really nice because it means that people who don't have that wealth, who don't have those opportunities, can go and they get to access and learn and bathe in the net like the bass of Aristotle. It's beautiful. But also when they leave, they have skills, they have transferable skills and a niche in what they do to take that further and carry that on. Um, not everybody goes to university to be an academic. Also, it doesn't mean you're lesser of a person or that you're thick or something, which is what I'm getting, um, just because you're not an academic. Like, you can do other things after you have left academia without lecturing and just reading books all the time, and that's perfectly valuable. And it's also perfectly valuable just to really like reading books and to carry on doing that. You should be entitled to do whatever you want to do after university. And I think that there is a lot of snobbery and elitism that's coming from the comments about um, saying people are less academic and they shouldn't go to university is bad. No, not everybody is academic, and that is okay. okay. Good. Quick straw poll. How many of you, put your hands up, how many of you have done an apprenticeship? Oh, good. One or two. That's what I would have figured. Not to two. Yeah, no, that's fine. How many? How many? No, me too. How many of you have done? Um, how many have done a vocational qualification? Well, it doesn't matter. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's City and Gills. Okay, a bit more. Good. I suppose what I was really doing is building on the point about I'm just getting the sense that skills is being seen as a bit of a dirty word. It's all about the same. It, it, it's, this is about... Someone asked the question, what's the purpose of university? The purpose of university is the same purpose for any route of learning or acquiring knowledge, acquiring skill, acquiring aspiration. So it shouldn't be just about what is the point of university. It's what is the point about the different options that we need to have available that allow for the different brightnesses of people and individuals that we have coming out of our education system into the world of work. That is just a fact. And therefore, I, I, I tend to agree with you now. We are lining up here, which is there's a lot of snobbery in what is still a two-tier system. And I think some of the conversations we've been having just sort of proves to me that long, long may that 
live, unfortunately. Dennis? Just on the point about what universities do to young people, I mean, the obsession with mental health in universities is a very dangerous one. And just to give you a, a, quite a comical example, students come out of tutorials now, undergraduate students, and say things like, oh God, that really affected my mental health. Right? <laughs> and you'll be teaching them to be mentally ill, see themselves as mentally ill. Normal life experiences, they're now reinterpreting to the mirror of mental illness, and that's a shocking thing. There are many more shocking things you can say about universities. But on this question of elitism, I, I was reading something by Tony Sewell, who runs Generating Genius, about getting working-class people into top universities. And he identified a problem, which is really where the snobbery happens, and what you've done to white and black working-class people. And he says this, they have lost their spine. They have brought, bought into the narrative of being a victim and lack the confidence to use their intellectual power. And that's what I'd like to see, is all young people have the confidence to use their intellectual power. And that's what we're taking away from them. Three quick points. Um, the reason I started with Mr. Collins was to underline the fact that university has always had multiple purposes, and it will go on having multiple purposes. And you can't say it can only be about knowledge any more than you can say it can only be about getting a ticket to a good job. If you don't do those things at university, they'll be done somewhere else in society. They're not going away. And they are knowledge, they're making a living, they are making networks, and they are sending signals about your relative position. And I'm sorry that's the horrible one, but it's there. The second thing is that, um, absolutely, it would be wonderful to have the whole world educated to degree level, if that's what we mean. But I don't accept that the only way you do that is by sending people to university. I think that's an incredibly narrow and harmful way of thinking about the educational function of universities. And that brings me to my third point that we haven't really touched on at all. The current university system, this is true in every country in the world, costs enormous amounts of money. And I think we have to ask ourselves if this is the best place to be putting that amount of money, mm -hmm. or whether actually, if you look at it in a value-for-money way, there are actually ways in which we could be doing all those things better, differently, and possibly more cheaply. Yep. So, okay. end Brilliant. it. End find out more about the festival by heading to our website battleofideas.org.uk to stay in touch with our work at the academy of ideas make sure you subscribe to this podcast and sign up to our newsletter by following the link below this recording